The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Welcome to a Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Fraser Nelson. Is it time to bring Saudi Arabia back from the cold? Its reforming crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, had been the apple of Boris Johnson's eye, pushing through the kinds of reforms in Saudi society that people thought they would never live to see. But then, five years ago, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi changed all that. There is a new fraudure between Britain, America and Saudi Arabia. But is it now time to forgive and to rekindle relations? Number 10 has confirmed that the Crown Prince is going to be invited over on an official visit. It seems as if we've gone from giving him a cold shoulder to rolling out the red carpet. Is that too much too soon? Joed Iqbal has written a piece for a coffee house saying perhaps it is a bit too do principles count for nothing, he says. He joins me now along with Simon Mayle, who's a former deputy chief of the defence staff and a Middle East advisor in the Ministry of Defence. Jawed, you won't need me to tell you the strategic importance of Saudi Arabia. It's a massive power broker in the country. It was hosting Ukraine talks. Recently, it happens to be an oil superpower at the time where we're trying to win an um, oil battle of nerves with um, Vladimir Putin. Isn't it time that we now need Saudi Arabia? You could argue we need it more than ever. All of those are absolutely critical and fair points, Fraser, but... It just still feels too soon and also slightly unnecessary. There's no reason why Britain cannot have an influential relationship with a very important strategic partner without actually giving the Crown Prince all the bells and whistles of an official visit. Sunak is actually very inexperienced in terms of foreign policy. We know very little about what he actually thinks about the world. The only clue we got was in a speech last year where he taught robust pragmatism. Now, in this case, there's a lot of pragmatism, but very little robustness. And and the usual cliches are always trotted out about this is influence and opportunity and, you know, we can use our good offices to have an effect. But there is actually no real cause for adopting a policy which is effectively all carrot and no stick. It's only been five years since the Khashoggi killing. There has been no sign from the Saudis of any kind of, even a suggestion of some form of, you know, thought around what happened there. No no real sense that they've acknowledged the sort of, the horror of this particular event. And we seem to be hurrying towards giving the Crown Prince all the bells and whistles of a visit to London and all the all the pictures that will be beamed around the world for very little in exchange. Um- Simon Mayo, we quite often take our lead from the United States here, our first ally. Now we know the relationship between the Biden administration and the Saudis is still quite cold. So are we rushing in a bit too soon? Should there have been some intermediate steps before we have the crown prince here, presumably with a, a dinner at Buckingham Palace? I mean, that's what a state visit normally involves. So this is the full kind of Pinochet treatment, and that was controversial enough. 
it will be controversial, Fraser, but you know, the world is as it is, and the world has moved on hugely since John Khashoggi's murder. And I'd be, I'd be with Jared. It was, a, it was a dreadful case, although I have to say it was as bad as um, the shooting of the Duc d'Anjan under Napoleon. As Talleyrand said, it's far worse than a crime, it's a mistake. At a time when we were having problems with the Chinese, with the Russians, with the uh, problems we were having clearly in Yemen, the humanitarian issues there, the nuclear file with Iran, problems across the whole of Mesopotamia to the Levant. Uh, Saudi Arabia is a really key player. Uh, and although this will be painted as Britain just trying to get a few bucks, sell a few weapons, etc., issues to do with Saudi Arabia, the Islamic world's relationship with Israel, the Sunni Arab world's relationship with Iran, the whole issue of Ukraine, which is going to roll on for longer than we imagine, the whole issue of the confrontation with China, uh, China's uh, the pivot in Saudi Arabia, the pivot in the Gulf towards Asia, towards China. All of these need confronting. And in certain cases, you are dealt, you have to deal with the personalities who are fronting up agendas. But also, there's no doubt about it, there has been extraordinary change in Saudi Arabia. And whatever we think, there's no doubt about it, you go to Saudi Arabia, as I do quite regularly, and given the youth of that population, it's amazing, and I know Jared will talk about a certain amount of element of fear, or there's nobody prepared to stand up and you know, face up to uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, there is huge support for his agenda. And that goes across a lot of the, uh, a lot of the Sunni Arab world as well, all of which look to America and Britain and judge us by how we, uh, we uh, you know, want, to, want to virtue signal or, or you know, greenwash or whatever the current phrasing is. So really important. Five years is, Jared might say, there should be no, no statute of limitations on, on murder or something like that. But you know, the world is a lot different from five years ago. And Saudi Arabia is a major player. Jared, five years may not be a long time in our memories, but look at the transformation in Saudi Arabia in those five years. I mean, look at how many, look at the position of women now when it comes to those who now, you know, in the workplace, in the defense ministry, in the governments, and driving cars, which wasn't the case only a few years ago. The sheer speed of change surely tells us that Mohammed bin Salman is going as fast as he reasonably can towards the kind of reforms which Britain has been urging all this time. So surely he is the most sincere kind of ally. It's pretty difficult. I imagine even you would struggle to say that he should be going faster than he already is when it comes to reforming his society. Actually, I would be someone who would say he should go faster. Um, I would contextualise some of that, Fraser. Um, It's certainly true that women can drive, you know, and only in a place like Saudi Arabia is this seen as some great extraordinary sort of human rights triumph. But women still have to exist under the male guardianship system. Women still have no rights there, really, no fundamental basic rights. They're still second-class citizens. In terms of the change, the change is definitely better than it has been in, in lots of ways. He's, a, he's clearly a consequential ruler of Saudi Arabia in a way that the previous rulers have not been. But it is still a country where basic freedoms are under the cosh in all kinds of ways. Last year, 200 people, according to Amnesty, were executed. That's been the consistent annual figure, around about 150 to 200 
every single year. But shouldn't we be looking at, of course, it's always going to be way, way far. Britain is never going to run out of things to criticise in Saudi Arabia. But five years ago, when Khashoggi was killed, female drivers were outlawed. Now the streets are full of them. The first female soldiers are graduating from the Saudi military academy. Women judges are being trained. Equal pay laws have been passed. So we're talking, sure, Britain did all this many decades ago, but to make, I mean, do you think Saudi Arabia could be reasonably expected to make faster progress in those five years than it has already without without pretty much revolution? Because Mohammed bin Salman here is taking on the Wahhabis. He's um, pretty strongly. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if, if, if you think that there is anything insincere about his domestic reform agenda. I can't, I can't really comment on the sincerity or otherwise. I mean, he, he has an agenda. It's his agenda. It's not Britain's agenda. If it sometimes coincides with things that we would like to happen, that's great and fine. But it's to overestimate Britain's influence to think that what he's doing is something that is in some way being guided by Britain. He has Saudi interests at heart. He He is not really engaged in thinking about what Britain would like, whether that's on the domestic front or on the foreign policy Is that a surprise? If we're not really talking to him, then he's not really going to be thinking about us. I mean, that's the whole point. No, the whole point is that there are many ways of engaging and talking with him without giving him the extra status that he really craves. What? Why do you think, for example, that the Saudis are so busy buying up sport everywhere? Is it because they have a love of football? No, they're looking for credibility. Credibility in sport, credibility in entertainment, credibility in tourism, credibility in all kinds of ways. And what this visit gives him quite early on is a fantastic propaganda coup for very little in return. If you look at the actions of the Saudis, only recently did they engineer the return of Syria to the Arab League. Now, Syria is a country that we technically are very unhappy about. It is a regime supported by Putin, who we are currently engaged in a major standoff with. The Saudis have a set of interests and agendas that do not necessarily coincide with Britain. We have a relationship. It's historically important. We we have all kinds of things where we would like to engage for our own benefit. But that doesn't mean that we should be going way above that and giving him the one thing that he really does treasure which is some form of international credibility in the West. Simon, let's say then that um, that we accept everything that you say about how Saudi's influence. Isn't this simply a question of how to engage? We didn't need to go this whole hog, did we? And it looks a bit like an about turn and one which hasn't really been explained. We haven't had ministers talk about Saudi Arabia. All we hear is leaked and still unconfirmed reports that Rishi Sunak is, is going from one extreme to the other. Well, let's be clear, it's not a state visit. He's only the crown prince. He's not a head of state. His father, Salman, is the king. And I think, again, we've got to be very clear about the, the room for manoeuvre. We talk about Saudi Arabia. It is the House of Saud. We talk about Bahrain. It's the Khalifas. You talk about Qatar. It is the Altanis. This is about family survival. And you have acknowledged it already, Fraser, um, and I think we all do. The room for manoeuvre, if you are the custodian of the two holy places, 
when you have been in a two, three hundred year relationship with the Wahhabis. It's not an easy one to do because if you lose legitimacy in the uh, Muslim world, and of course the Iranians are very good at pointing to the frailties or the foibles or the failures of the high society in order to undermine their legitimacy. But the reality is there are more people, there are more women proportionally work in Saudi Arabia now than there are in America. And of course, you've got to remember again, 25% of the population of Saudi Arabia are women under the age of 30. So this agenda is huge. It really is. Mohammed bin Salman, when King Salman dies, he's only mid-30s. He could be around for another 50 years. And we really do need to be very clear-sighted. I have no problems about this. You know, I think we need to be aware. But equally, we could talk about 200 people judicially killed, executed. But look at the death toll in Yemen. Look at the death toll in Syria. Look at the death toll in Iraq. There are areas of the world, and the Gulf is particularly thing, where stability is the thing that really is delivering for the people of that country. And there is a Sharia law uh, aspect to this. It looks very harsh to us, but in many ways, it's an extremely safe country. But it's under huge threat as well. Look at Al-Qaeda's number one target was the House of Saud, not the Americans. ISIS, number one target, the House of Saud. So sometimes one's really got to put Saudi Arabia or other Gulf monarchies in the context of their own cultural experience and their own uh, reg regional, the regional dynamics. And it is important for us that this reform agenda continues because we've seen what happens across North Africa. We've seen what happened in Mesopotamia. We've seen what happens in Yemen. Stability is critical for this reform movement. And it's based on security. And it's what the Americans and the British can offer. And there's a certain amount of selfishness, inevitably. Why wouldn't there be? Jawas referred to what Mohammed bin Salman is trying to do in terms of his agenda should be our agenda. But we do share an awful lot of really important issues that require us to engage. Jared Iqbal, isn't that the final point here? That when Rishi Sunak talked about his robust pragmatism, what he meant was nobody's thinking that Saudi Arabia is the new Surrey. Nobody thinks that we're going to be leaving up there without approving everything that we see. But when we look at the world, we look at the war fighting against Putin, we're looking at the battle for energy security. These are, you know, this isn't about whether you approve of every regime. These are the actual British interests. Um, when we, let's look at as well at the strides Saudi Arabia has made also improving relations with Israel. We're getting um, far more... Um, discussion, dialogue, and um, relationship between the Emirates and Israel is, you know, again, way more advanced than we've had. And Saudi Arabia is basically a catalyst for progress there. So is it not simply the robust, prag pragmatic position that our interests and those of um, Mohammed bin Salman are actually aligned and it is time to work together on those joint interests? We've already, we've already deplored and the murder of Khashoggi. We can keep on deploring it over the next 30, 40 years, but meanwhile, there is work to do. It undermines our basic position in lots of ways. We Regimes like Putin and the China regime will look at Britain and they'll think Britain only a few years ago was absolutely apparently outraged by something. They, they agreed with the American position that MBS was a pariah that there would be real consequences. Sanctions were applied to certain individuals. These other regimes will look at that and think when the West makes these kinds of statements, they're really just 
they're just really statements that amount to nothing. And I think that's the lesson that the Saudis will draw from this. MBS, like many leaders in that region, may turn in a different direction at some point. We often say that about these regimes. Do you remember a few years ago, we were saying that Bashar Assad, the optician from Acton, was a was a great reformer and a great strategic thinker who would ally himself to British interests and American interests. Look how that turned out. It may well be that at some point, the crown prince decides that reform isn't really on his agenda, that there's a bigger there's a bigger prize and that he wants to go in a different direction. At the moment, there's all kinds of talk about a deal with Israel. Yes, that, that's just talk. If there, were, if there is a deal with Israel, it will only come on terms that suit the Saudis. The main regional player at the moment for the Saudis is the Chinese, not the Americans, not the British. It's the Chinese who have facilitated a little thaw in relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So I, I think there is nothing wrong with saying, yes, this is a historically strong strategic partner. What the Saudis do in that region really matters. We need to engage. But we must show some degree of spine and some degree of principle. That's the only thing that many of these leaders actually understand. And what Sunak has done here for very little gain, as far as I can see, is actually delivered everything on a plate. When Downing Street did the official statement yesterday about the visit, which is still not confirmed in terms of dates, and why is that? That's because it's up to the Saudis when they come, not up to the British, but up to the Saudis. But in that statement, what Downing Street did say was that it was a very important relationship and there were a lot of interests in terms of defense. What it didn't mention was anything to do with human rights, because actually that is something I'm sure the Saudis would immediately say, shut up Britain. So I think that's the substantial point here, Fraser, that everything that Simon said and the questions you've posed are perfectly legitimate. All of those things currently take place, but we've effectively just weakened our position by showing ourselves to be just a little bit lacking in principle. And my final point, and I think this is quite important, is that what is the message it sends to women in Saudi Arabia? What is the message it sends to all those people who are trying to fight for rights? It actually sends the opposite message. It says to them, actually, that isn't the number one thing on the agenda. And yet at the same time, when we're dealing with Putin, when we're dealing with China, we, we, you know, when we look at the Chinese behavior in Hong Kong, we say, stop this. This is not right. This is completely unacceptable. How do we look then? We look like hypocrites, I'm afraid. Well, I would disagree with Jared about this because I know what the attitude is in Saudi Arabia, particularly among the young people, particularly among the women towards what's happened so far. We need security. The more we uh, push the Saudis away, the more they lean towards the Chinese and the Russians. I simply don't believe those regimes offer anything for Saudi Arabia. I still think the Western model is what they aspire to. Um, I think in the cultural side, the social side, they'll all say no, nobody wants to go to Beijing. Nobody really wants to go to Moscow. But it is about family survival. Uh, and I genuinely think they genuinely understand the post-fossil fuel era is a is coming fast in historical terms. When they talk about the future, they're not talking about 
five prime ministers down the road. They're talking about grandsons, great-grandsons, daughters. Um, every one of those women out there who's got greater freedoms, they're still constrained by that, but they're a very socially conservative people, Jared, as you know. They're religiously pious. I think we find it very difficult in the secular liberal Western world to genuinely think that people hold up the Quran and, and say, no, this is the received word of God. This is what it says. Okay, it's open to interpretation. So I think security, stability allows reform to take place. And Saudi Arabia is such an important country that by actively dismissing Mohammed bin Salman, we alienate a lot of people across the Sunni Arab world. Uh, and in many ways, we push them. They say, and you, you said it yourself, Dad, fine, thank you. I'm off. I'm off looking at the Chinese to guarantee my security or the Russians. And I don't think that's a good outcome for Saudi Arabia, let alone for the House of Saud. Uh, and certainly not for, for the West at a time when we, we really are confronted with some major problems, uh, at which Saudi Arabia we would like to uh, have on side. And I don't really think we're giving a huge amount, but I, I take a point for certain people, the issue of, um, of, of, of you know what, what we signal at human rights level. I just happen to think that actually things are moving incredibly fast in a part of the world that has traditionally been very conservative, very slow, and very, very... Yeah, disappointed in what it's, uh, it's, it's done about tackling these issues. Simon Mill and Joe Dickbell, thank you very much for joining me on Coffee House Shots.